It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. As always, a pleasure to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of a gentleman who made his mark in football in lots of ways. He was unique throughout 291 games of a magnificent career. His name is Peter Everett, but everybody knows him as Spider. Spider, how are you going? Yeah, really good, really good. Great to, to be able to have a chat and uh, you know, bring back some memories of the footy years, I suppose. Now, we're not sitting in the same studio. I'm in the Melbourne studio. You're on the beautiful Gold Coast, and that is where you are living at the moment. That is where you are making your living, and indeed you're making your living in a radio studio. Yeah, we are. So I do uh, yeah breakfast radio on the Gold Coast, which is uh, something after footy. I, even during footy, I always enjoyed the media. Uh, I like the television, but yeah, radio come about. So I thought I'd give breakfast radio a go, and that was eight years ago, and I'm still here. So it's not too bad at this stage. Now, the last time I saw you, Spide, was out the back of the commentary boxes at Metricon Stadium a couple of years ago, and you were looking very relaxed. It's obviously a very difficult lifestyle up there with the terrible weather that you've got to put up with. Oh, look, I don't think... I, I think most people... And, you know, the Gold Coast is a, kind of a weird, I suppose, um, suburb in a way because, you know, we're half NRL, half AFL, but a lot of expats from South Australia, Tasmania and Victoria all live up here. So none of us would ever go anywhere south again because the weather, as you say, over over the winter months is just uh, perfect. And if you enjoy your golf and your fishing and fill in a little bit of work in between, it, uh, it is one of those perfect places and great for the kids as well. They're outdoors all the time. So, yeah. It's got plenty of benefits to it, and uh, you know, if that's where employment takes you, you've got to pretty much go to it as well. Are you still number one in your breakfast slot up there, you and AJ? Uh, look, uh, maybe falling off a couple, but um, look, there's a th- it's a three-horse race up here at the moment against um, CFM and Hot Tomato. So we've uh, gone down a couple, but we're hoping now with AJ we can peg ourselves back up to the first position. I think, um, you know, when you are number one, you kind of can get comfortable, so it's good to be, uh, I suppose, chasing the others bit like footy in that regard you get to number one and you become the hunted it's so funny like uh you, you know, you're in radio and in television and so much of it can be brought back to footy you know you've got the coach which is our um you know content director and uh, you've got the players which is myself aj and bridge and you get you know scrutinized in every break you do like you do in footy so so much of it is so similar to uh radio and footy so that's why i think a lot of sports people actually go into radio or, or television because they're they're there's certain aspects of it that really help uh, and complement each other 
Now, Spide, having done breakfast radio at various times over the years, the one thing that I never got used to was the alarm going off at a ridiculous hour in the morning. How are you travelling with that? Yeah, look, I I love training in the mornings. I used to always get up, and if we were training, do it first thing in the morning, get it out of the way. So I don't train anymore because I hate training in the afternoons, and you know we're up at three, quarter past three. So it is hard. It's just the hardest thing is when you have a function the night before because you're lucky enough to get invited to a couple of openings and this bar or this restaurant's opening you go to that have a few beers get home at 10 30 at night but you know the alarm goes off at three every morning so it makes it it makes it hard but a day sleep's one of the best sleeps you can you can ever have when you're doing brekkie radio yeah it's very decadent isn't it when you can get that <laughs> nap in in the afternoon oh yeah that's why we, you got to do it before school finishes or else you got the kids running around you got no hope yeah we'll talk about your kids a little bit later on and the lifestyle that you lead in lots of ways but you said you used to train early did you in fact used to train before you did the breakfast shift at one stage yeah yeah i used to train at 2 30 2 30 in the morning uh quarter past two and i uh, go to the gym gyms at 24 7 so it was amazing how many people actually trained at that time there's uh, probably about another half a dozen people in the gym and i used to go but it was just just getting too tired it was too early so i've got to try and motivate myself to train in the afternoons but at this stage i haven't done anything for a little while <laughs> now when you were eating at that stage because obviously if you're training you've got to eat now i heard a bit of a whisper that um, you yeah. have uh, a very interesting breakfast or you had a very interesting breakfast menu. Did you have half a bowl of Cocoa Pox and half a bowl of rice bubbles at some stage? <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think that's everyone's favourite, is it? You don't want to... <laughs> the, you know, the chocolate milkshake, it's always crunchy, they say, but adding your rice bubbles, the snap, crackle and pop, and, uh, yeah, I, I love breakfast cereal. And, uh, you know, the people here saying, oh, cereal's no good for you. I have it for breakfast, lunch and dinner, like... I just if it's wheat, bix, nutrigrain, cocoa pops mixed with rice bubbles, you name it, I have it. It's just I know it's just it's a quick, easy, fantastic meal cereal. It's underrated, I reckon. Underrated. We're going to have to start calling you Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, he loves it, but uh, yeah, even you know, especially when you go to some of these functions and you know they dish out this big plate with this little piece of steak in the middle. It's like you know you got to eat something before you go. So cereal is the perfect uh, gap filler. All right, now let's go back to the start of your career when you were a skinny, gangly kid trying to put weight on. First of all, who was the first person to call you Spider? Uh, look, I, th- I think it was Gary Colling or Cat, Cat Colling in, uh, at uh, St Kilda in the early days. Uh, I, my actual first nickname when I first went down there was Stalker which I'm pretty happy it's not now um, <laughs> in today's environment. But that's what it was, you know, because I had the, the, uh, the skinny legs and the bowed uh, um, elbows and uh, knees. So that was my first one. And then uh, when I got the dreadies, Cat started, uh, yeah, just calling me Spider. And then for some reason it, uh, it's really stuck. So even work here wouldn't even know my real name. They only know it as Spider, so it's quite funny. Well, I don't think I've ever called you, Peter, and I think most people would be in the same boat. So Spider it is, and let's stick with that. Yeah. Where did the journey begin? It was down on the Mornington Peninsula where you first came into the world, wasn't it? Yeah, we grow. I moved a fair bit when I was growing up as um, you know, as a child through dad's work. So we grew up a, around Wonturna first uh, in the um, suburbs of Melbourne, and we were there. Wonturna Footy Club started when we we were in the first year. It started in under under nines and under tens, and then we moved down to Crib Point, which is in the Mornington Peninsula, and. 
pretty much, you know, like every every kid those days, you didn't have the opportunities of, you know, basketball or hockey and everything was AFL. The whole thing was your family packed up every Sunday and went down to junior footy and you watch the under-9s, the 10s, the, the 12s, the 14s, and you watch it all the way through. So, yeah, played footy down at Crib Point and then the last year I had a, a bit of a dispute at Crib Point, so I went to the rival club Hastings and uh, ended up being seen down there and then moving on to St Kilda from there. Did you dabble in cricket at all? Because with your build, um, with that arm coming over from about nine feet high, you would have been able to get a fair bit of bounce. Did you bowl at all? No, not at all. I did not. I had no interest in cricket. Um, you know, standing out in the field for a whole uh, Saturday didn't have any interest in me at all. But um, you know, a couple of boys played it. Obviously, that was a really just a summer. You know, when we were growing up, that was only just a summer sport. But yeah, never got into the cricket. I was never you know a bowler or a batter. I was never very good at it. So pretty much much just footy 24-7 like even during the off season all you do is go out the front yard and kick the footy with your mates and it was always going to be that you were going to finish up at St Kilda because you were one of the last players to go through the zoning system as it was then yeah, well, I went down for this when they had the under-19s. So the last year of the under-19s, I played a couple of games and then stayed on the list at the end of the... Uh, in 91 for the under-19s and, um, you know, was, uh, you know, kept on... Yeah, as you say, um, you still had to go through the uh, the first draft, but you were zoned to St Kilda. So you couldn't go anywhere, but you still had to be called out in the uh, in the first draft and stayed at St Kilda, stayed on the list in the, in the seconds and then continued on and uh, in 93 made my... Taboo, so it was always um, it was always nice. I think the height had a bit to do with it, and then um, you know the seconds, uh, you know, St Kilda weren't travelling that well anyway. So played a couple of games and then stayed in. Things were about to turn the corner for the Saints, and we'll talk about that. And so it was round one, nineteen ninety three, and I think you're a member of that famous club, aren't you? First kick, first goal. Well, I've got to go back to the you know this is going to be sad, the VHS because. <laughs> I think I, I say I am, and then I, I thought I watched a game, and I thought I, dro- I dribbled one along the ground. And I said, "Well, I'm not going to count that one. It wasn't a proper kick." So I do want to go back to the drawing board and actually see it because I say I thought I was, and then I saw this bit of a game, but I don't know what part of the game. So I've got to go and watch the full game to find out exactly. But yeah, '93 down at Geelong. So I remember driving down there with my dad and uh, my grandfather, and uh, yeah, it was a, a great moment. I think you'd played in a practice match over in the West before that. Kenny Sheldon was the coach at the time. And you'd gone all right in that practice match, hadn't you? But didn't you get the red eye straight back? Yeah, well, those days, yeah, that's what you did. You, you, um, we played in, I think it might have been, been the Ansett Cup those days. And we played over in Perth. We, we got beaten. And I kicked three goals in the third quarter. And I think, oh, yeah, I'm going all right here. But uh, we caught the red eye home and we went straight back to Moorabbin and we had to train. So at five o'clock in the morning, Kenny Sheldon made us do, it was about an hour and 20 minutes, four quarters of sprint work. Oh. So, yeah, we had to go up and down the grandstands. We had to run from the centre out to the boundary, straight from the airport. So from the red eye, straight to Moorabbin and training. That was my introduction to pretty much seeing AFL footy. So I was like, hey, hang on, I still kick three. I'm going all right. No, you didn't. Everyone's out there. Everyone's training. So that was the start. <laughs> So you had Kenny Bomber, as he was known, for one year. Did that influence your uh, viewpoint on him, the fact that he made you get off the red eye and go to training at 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning, or did you get on a right? Yeah, no, I got along with uh, Bomber really well. So uh, still, it's great to see him back at the Saints now, doing a, a bit in the um, the past players arena, and he does the same for Carlton. But, yeah, Bomber, we went, end up going mid-year to the Australian 
Institute of Sport and learn a lot up there too with with uh, Bomber. So, you know, he invested a lot to it. But uh, as I said, I was only there for the one year with him before, uh, you know, Stan got put in. Now, working in radio, you know the need for us to take a break. So we're going to take a break for two reasons, Spide. One is to uh, let our great friends advertise on this wonderful program. Yes. And the other thing is so you can get out of the studio and see if you can find a VHS machine so you can work out whether, in fact, it was your second kick in footy. Oh, I definitely. That's, that's my main aim. That's what I want to find out. Uh, Peter Everett, Spider, is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating lives. More with Spide coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. The 291-game veteran, Peter Spider Everett, is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Spide, you said when you got to St Kilda, there wasn't much happening, but things were about to happen because you had the nucleus of a really good team brewing. Yeah, when you look at it now, um, you know, a, a amazing team really. Stuart, you know, Stuart Lowe, Nathan Burke, and Robert Harvey, Danny Frawley, Jamie Shanahan, Nicky Wimmer. You can go through. You think about some of those names. They were already there. Um, you know, I was there when Pluggard uh, was there, but then in, in '95 he went to, he went across to the Sydney Swans. But then we had the uh, the great draft where we got Aussie Jones and Tony Brown and Joel Smith. So we, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we had a really good understanding of uh, young blokes and a great uh, nucleus of old guys as well. So it was, if you're looking at footy today, it was a perfect mix of both old and new. And what you also had was a very experienced coach, a very experienced football man in Stan Elves. After Kenny Sheldon was your coach for the first year, Stan came along. How did you get on with him? Yeah, look, Stan was, uh, it was great. Trevor Barker as well was around at the time as well. So Trevor Barker was uh, fantastic. Um, you know, Stan, you know, we had our ups and downs between, um, you know, myself and Stan and also the players and Stan, but he was very passionate. He knew what he wanted and um, he, he, he really drove every player really, really hard. And I think he got the most out of most of the players as well. I, I just think, unfortunately, when, uh, you know, the passing of Trevor Barker, who was a good medium between the players and, and Stan, because Stan was so passionate and so hard that the players really weren't used to that kind of, uh, you know, um, oh, not not the passion, but you know, just the the straightness of a coach. And um, he was uh, Trevor was very very good. And then when Trevor passed away, Stan, uh, you know, really took a bit more of the responsibility, but uh, lost lost a lot of the players, and then unfortunately ended up costing himself. But he did get us to a, a grand final, which uh, unfortunately we didn't win. But you know, I thought um, you know Stan was actually probably ahead of his time when he was coaching us. We'll talk more about that grand final in a minute, but essentially what you're saying, Spider, are you saying that he was a bit too old school for the younger guys? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say old school. I just think, uh, yeah, I suppose because um, you know you've got to be able to communicate, and we think um, you know communication between players and uh, coaches is so uh, so important these days. But it was back then as well. So I think, yeah, I think um, you know even you know your Aussie Joneses and your, your Tony Browns and myself and that quite young at the time. And uh, yeah, Stan was probably a little bit of the old school when things started to slowly change then. What are your memories of Moorabbin and uh, the ground being watered and the animal enclosure and all of those sort of weird and wonderful things that used to go on in that era? Oh, look, I, I think, um, you know, the best part of Moorabbin was, you know, even if you're playing twos, you know, I never played a senior game there. But lucky enough to play at Victoria Park, but not, uh, not at Moorabbin. 
But, you know, you sit in the change rooms and the seconds and you'd hear the crowd and you knew as soon as the crowd went up, yeah, Plugger's got, a, got the ball. So you're about to have a shower and you hear the crowd go nuts and you think, yeah, Plugger's got it. And then you, about 10 minutes later, you hear the crowd go nuts at the other end. So just to how the crowd used to follow Tony Lockett to one end to the other and, you know, just the, the people that stream in, it was just one of those good old country grounds that, you know, you sit there and you, you watch local footy these days and you think, you know, this is what AFL or VFL used to be like and it, you, you just love it. You know, the, the fans having a crack over the fence, but it's 50-50 and, you know, the passion of following a full forward from one end of the ground to the other, it was just uh, yeah, a great memory, Moorabbin. Speaking of Moorabbin, uh, a lot of people talk about the training facilities that you had um, in those days. You probably couldn't quite call them facilities. Even later on in later years, some of the players spoke about the fact that, well, shall we say they were a little bit dilapidated. Yeah, they were, and you, you know, you kind of, you, in one in one hand, you're jealous of other clubs that uh, you know got all the the prime stuff. You saw the new co- the new clubs of West Coast and uh, you know Fremantle and that coming up, coming in with all the good stuff, and so uh, other clubs like Collingwood who can afford it. But then it still had that history. You know, you had all the names on the lockers, you had all the history in there, you had the smell of what footy was really about. So it was kind of a a win win because yeah, you didn't have all the training facilities, but you still had that that old passion of, of what we love footy for you know the trainers the smell of the oil um, you know as much as it wasn't the best facilities uh, we still loved it you spoke about the Ansett Cup the pre-season competition before Spide 96 the Saints win the pre-season cup now it has been a poison chalice over the years at various times because some teams have won it and then done nothing in the regular season but by winning that did you see that something was about to happen that an era was about to develop at the Saints yeah, I th- I th- you know, you definitely need those wins. Um, you know, St Kilda had been starved a long time for for good wins, and um, you know that in '96, uh, not only that, Stan brought in um, you know Ray McLean, who was one of the first people ever to you know really get into the mindset of players about being professional, and we see it now. They go through every club, but Ray Mc- Ray McLean come in and did a lot of work with the players about you know professionalism, getting yourself right, and um, you know leading the footy club, and you know really got into the Minds of you know, myself and Justin Peckett and Aussie Jones and and you know some of the younger blokes who probably you know like myself were taking AFL footy for granted and uh, you know when Ray McLean come in and changed the whole way we we trained and saw footy and saw what we've got and the opportunity we've got I think that as well as winning a few games and believing in that system really set us up for you know a, a good year in '96 and a, a great year in '97. And home and away wise in 97, it couldn't have gone much better from a personal point of view and also from a team point of view. You were the dominant team in the competition that year, home and away wise. Yeah, and uh, you know we we had a great side. We had um, you know every part of the field was was really really covered. We were great off the field as well. We were a very tight um, footy club. A lot of people say we we're um, you know probably a little bit overboard, but I, I wouldn't go that far. I think there was other clubs out there that went probably harder than the St Kilda Footy Club off field. But we were we were just really built in as one, and everybody was training for the same purpose. And you know as you say, it was a great year for for everybody. Um, you know Robert Harvey winning the Brownlow that year as well. So. You know, we had a lot of contributors and they weren't all just the old guys. A couple of the young guys were, were really pushing up as well. Ozzy Jones had a, had a fantastic year. Max Hudson really come into it as well. So, yeah, it was one of those years that, you know, everything just seemed to click perfectly. 
Just to elaborate on that point a little bit more about the off-field activities, Saints were always well-known because you had the Saints disco down there, which was yeah. the, the scene of a few interesting events over the years. Do you look at today's footballers and think they're just on too tight a leash from all of the people who uh, control them and say you can't even have a, a beer after a game and the dietitians say you can't do this and you can't do that? Are they too tight a leash? Would you survive today with all the discipline that's needed? Um, oh, look, I know one thing. I'd have a, I'd have a million Twitter followers and I'll probably be bagged every two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> but, oh, look... Yeah, I think they are. I think you've got to be able to relax it a little bit. I think some of the best times in footy, and what I loved about footy is the you know the mateship you can get from it. And a lot of people are different. You know, even back back in the nineties, you know, there was a few players that didn't drink throughout the year. Said no, they don't drink throughout the year until uh, the end of the year. But they still come out and got amongst it. So I think there's um, definitely you know players these days are missing out on that side of it. And I don't see why clubs still can't do it. You know, they train hard enough. Everything's fine tuned. Just give the guy an opportunity to um, enjoy a bit of the uh, you know, enjoy a bit of the footy, but at the same time we know how hard it is because of the the increase of social media and you know the heartache everyone's under. So look, it's a it's a catch twenty two. But I think um, you know if guys go out and enjoy themselves, they should be able to. You want to be able to you know still live your life even though you are being a professional sports person because if you're doing everything right, you've still got to be able to enjoy it. If I remember correctly, Spide, some of those blokes in footy in that era who didn't drink uh, when the footy season was on made up for it as soon as 1st of October rolled oh, around. I, I don't, don't worry, they'll <laughs> wait for age. And you had to be careful of them the first couple of weeks. You didn't want to go anywhere near them. But, um, yeah, look, there was and, – and that was the fun of, the, I think, the 90s was the fact that, you know, you could go out, you had uh, some great um, teammates, uh, you know, you got to know them on and off the field very, very closely. But I think the, the most important thing through the 90s, what I loved the most, was the fact that you got to know everybody at the football club as well. So after a game, you know, you w- you'd have a little bit of the recovery, but you'd all go up into the president's room and uh, you'd meet all the, the sponsors and the directors and everybody who's a part of the footy club. So, you know, you had a, a, a really good bond with not just the playing group. You actually had a good bond and you brought into the whole football club. And, you know, that's, that's one part I really enjoyed. And I think that misses in today's footy is the fact that, you know, the players going up to have a, have a beer or a soft drink in the president's uh, room after the game and having a quick chat, I think that's uh, worth its weight in gold, one for the, for the club and two for the player. Back to 97, we spoke about the home and away aspect of it, so you approach the finals with a huge amount of confidence, there's a win in the first week of the finals against Brisbane but it didn't turn out very happily for you. Nah, I shattered, yeah, you sit there today and you think would you have done anything different, I got hip and shoulder, I think I kicked my second goal and going back to uh, towards the centre and got hip and shouldered by um, Daryl White who's built like a goal post uh, there's nothing on him but he just uh, yeah, flushed me beautifully and uh, broke my collarbone so unfortunately from then uh, I knew it was going to be you know, four to six weeks for a collarbone and you kind of look at today's footy and you think well would you have put a screw in it and put a um, you know, a couple of uh, ties in there and then played, but you know, I was uh, I was unfortunately, yeah, from then on, not a chance to play. So, it's it's difficult. But at the age of 24, you're thinking, you know, you've had a cracking 97. You think, oh well, I'll get another opportunity, and uh, did not even look close for another opportunity. So probably a, yeah, the hardest month of footy you'll ever go through. So what are you feeling when you're sitting in the stands on that one day where everybody wants to play, all your teammates are out there playing for the biggest prize in football? What's the feeling like sitting in the stand? 
Yeah, look, it was hard. It was even hard the whole week leading in because uh, I did a lot of the publicity for for the uh, for the footy club um, that week, and then sitting in the stands and and watching it at halftime being up, and then seeing Adelaide slowly come back. And you know, I think uh, you know for me, I, you know, Sean Wren, you know, we had a very very good battle uh, throughout uh, our years playing against each other. So that was always uh, you know always on your cards to play against uh, good players, and Rennie was one of those. So you kind of watch it. And and, uh, you know, you, you just hope they, they can get up for the sake of the footy club and, uh, you know, the sake of all the Saints uh, fans. You saw them all, you listened to them all week, and then you just see Adelaide slowly kicking away. It was uh, heartbreaking. And But as I said, you always thought, you know what, there's, there's next year. We'll, we'll get back there next year. But it uh, never happened. Footy is full of hypotheticals, Spide. If you ask a lot of St Kilda supporters about the hypothetical of 97, if you had played in that grand final, if you had played in the rest of the final series, they will tell you that the Saints would have won the flag. Does that thought ever cross your mind, that you could have made the difference? Oh, look, I think uh, when you're doing a sportsman's night, I say 100% yes. Um, and I say I won Robert Harvey two Brownlows as well, being a ruckman, because I could have hit it to anyone I want. But, um, no, nah, look, you know, when you w- look at all the games, and, you know, I remember we played North Melbourne the week after, and Corey McKernan was uh, on fire at that stage as well. And I remember Brett Cook, who took my spot as the ruckman, tackled Corey McKernan to the ground on the wing and uh, dislocated Corey's shoulder, put him out. We went on to win. Now, I wouldn't have done that tackle, so Corey might have carved him up. So, there's so many hypotheticals there. I think, um, you know, Laser Vitovic had done his knee as well, Joel Smith. And so there were so many other factors to it compared to, you know, when we're on top as a team, playing as a, a full team. We had other other opportunities. So, no, I, I'd like to think so, but no, I don't, I don't really look at it like that. The recognition you got for a great season was to come later because you were named All-Australian. Was it a bit bittersweet in light of what had happened to the team? Yeah, but you, know, you look back now and um, you know, you're really proud of you know, being able to you know, represent Australia. We went over to Ireland uh, the year later, but you know, making an All-Australian as, as a ruckman, um, you know, it's just nice to be at the, uh, the, top, of the, the top of the tree when you're looking, um, you know, when you're looking at the, the side and you're, you're weighing yourself up against some of the, the great players. And that was the great thing about even you know, going back a little bit, being representing Victoria too, because you know, you're playing alongside a lot of the the legends and uh, the Hall of Famers of the AFL. So, uh, yeah, bittersweet, but at the same time, uh, very, very proud to be, you know, be able to say I'm an All-Australian in the AFL. And just finally, on that year, you touched on it, that when you get to a grand final and and indeed go on and win premierships, I think the natural inclination is that we're, we're that good, we're going to keep on doing it. We're going to get there again. And it doesn't always work out that way. Nah, no. Well, you you kind of hope, and uh, you know, you tell kids these days, and it doesn't matter if it's uh, seconds footy for for Ballarat or if it's junior footy. If you got a chance to win a premiership, you actually put everything into it because you know they don't come around. They're very, very, you know, very, very scarce and uh, hard to win. So, you know, yeah, we always thought that you know, ninety eight. Yep, we'll get better. We'll get a couple of other players in. You know, we'll all be fit up and running, and uh, ended up going the opposite way. So, yeah, it's a, it's it's tough. You don't you don't understand that. When you're 20, 21, 24 and uh, you know, that's why you see I suppose Lowy and Berkey and, and Harves at the time, it hit them harder than what it hit us because they'd been working you know, 10, 12 years to get in that position. For us it was our third year. That grand final was one part of the football journey for Spider Everett and plenty of other parts to talk about including the trip to Hawthorne, the great success at that football club and also up to Sydney. Spider is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating lives. More coming up after the break. Yeah!
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a great pleasure it is to have Spider Everett as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Spider, we spoke about the time at St Kilda. One last thing on the time at St Kilda. What do you think when I say the name Scott Chisholm? Uh, yeah, interesting because uh, yeah, it got done for racial vilification against uh, Scotty Chisholm. At that stage, um, you know, I think yeah, it's come a long way. I was in the, the fir- my fourth game was when Nicky Winmar lifted up his jumper at the mm. Victoria Park and pointed to the colour of his skin. So, yeah, look, it was one of those heat of the moment things. Um, you know, definitely um, you know, what I've learned from that experience uh, has stayed with me forever. So, look, Scotty and uh, yeah, myself had the, the confrontation. Uh, we had mediation, which didn't go, and then uh, we had it again and uh, ended up getting four-week suspension and a $20,000 fine. But the interesting thing was, and I do a lot of travel now throughout um, Australia, and I went up to the Northern Territory, one of my first trips uh, since I'd retired. I wasn't quite sure how you know the indigenous people would be you know after i'd been done and been highly publicized so i was very very nervous going up there but um you know they were, they were fantastic i've gone, done a lot of work and a lot of travel through the communities now spoken to scotty and his mum and uh sister up there in um the northern territory so at bad time um 100 because i remember the media was camping outside my house you know my daughters uh copped it at school and it was a, a very very hard time but at the same time, what I learnt out of it, um, I, I would never have learnt without going down that path, which is the worst way to learn it. But at the same time, um, you know, you, you, you learn something from it. So, and I, th- I think with that, um, you look at uh, Damian Monkers and a few others. I, I think um, you know the racial vilifications come a, come a long, long way, and the AFL is leading the way in it. So the simple fact of the matter is every single one of us makes a mistake in our lives, but if you can learn something from that mistake, then it's worthwhile in the end. Yeah, well, I, yeah, it's kind of worthwhile. It's hard to, hard to not, say. Not because, the act itself, but no. the consequences and, and the result of the act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely learnt. And, you know, still we had, you because know, we had good friends at the football club at that stage. You know, we still had Gilbert McAdam, uh, Nicky Wimmer, um, you know, and played with a lot of Indigenous players and then went to Hawthorne who, who have, have the most in the competition. So, yeah, it was always, it was always, it was a tough, tough time. But now, um, yeah, I've learned a lot. At the end of 2004, things uh, got a little strained. How did your time at St Kilda finish? Was it um, a little acrimonious? Uh, look, it was. I didn't see eye to eye that well with Grant Thomas. I don't think um, you know somebody can be a CEO of a footy club and a coach and a captain and try and do try and do the whole thing. So I wasn't uh, the best mates with Grant Thomas. But at the same time, I, I don't fully blame him for me leaving. I was uh, at that stage where I thought that, you know, there was a perception out there, rightly or wrongly, that uh, one that I didn't agree with, that, uh, you know, I was a bit of a, well, a rat bag and um, didn't really dedicate myself to footy when, you know, I trained every morning at 6.30 in the morning with all the directors and did a lot of extra training to get myself right. And uh, I was never late to a meeting and uh, never missed training and I've never had a day off. So I, I thought the perception out there wasn't right and I thought to try and change that perception at St Kilda for some reason was going to be a lot harder than 
change, you know, making a new start somewhere else. So, you know, we decided that uh, we'll go to Hawthorne. We had a meeting with Collingwood, which uh, I was uh, signed up and ready to go, but uh, Grant Thomas wouldn't do the negotiations with Collingwood, so ended up at Hawthorne. So, and I think, you know, even though I'd signed with Hawthorne um, and one of the toughest nights I've ever had was to go back to St Kilda in the start of December when you've been a month at uh, training with a rival club to go and accept my life membership. And, um, you know, I went and did that because, uh, you know, I was thankful that St Kilda had given me the 10 years that uh, I'd played there for, but explained to them that I thought that for my footy, I had to move on. And you knuckled down when you went to Hawthorne as well because you did have a big media presence at that stage. You were on the footy show a fair bit and I think you scaled back those commitments to concentrate on your footy, didn't you? Yeah, scaled back a lot of it and, um, you know, just really focused on the footy. And that was a part of it uh, when you talk to, you know, Ian Dicker and uh, Peter Swab at the time. So the idea was to show people, yeah, you know, footy does actually mean something to me. I'm not here just to make up the numbers. So, yeah, I scaled back a lot of the media commitments. Didn't give it all out, but uh, just said, you know what, let's scale it back. Let's concentrate on footy, play good footy, and the rest will come. From a team perspective, it didn't quite work out at Hawthorne because they were building towards something. But again, could you see that happening? Peter Schwab was your first coach and then you had Clarko and we know what a legend he's become. Could you see the signs there that success was just around the corner? Yeah, I remember ringing Clarko, uh, yeah, and Swabby was was great as well. And then uh, I rang Clarko just before he started and I said, you know, the boys are catching up for a barbecue on Sunday before the Monday training. Uh, do you want to drop around and see him? And he said, no, no, no. He goes, I'll see you on Monday because you know where you stand on Monday. He wants to hit you between the eyes, and uh, so he come in with a with a plan, and uh, obviously that plan is, as we say, is one of the best in the competition. When it you know, goes on to win four premierships, and you know we knew that he wanted to get rid of a, a couple of the older blokes, but. Saying that, I still believe that you know, if I had, uh, you know, I end up going to Sydney. Um, but you know, if I, I, I suppose followed the Clarko way, where a few of us, myself and Johnny Hay, and a couple of others had different thoughts that uh, we didn't, and uh, we ended up on the scrap heap or somewhere else. And you know, guys went on to play premierships, so that was our fault not believing in what Clarko had. Did that disappoint you the way it all ended at Hawthorne after what had happened at St Kilda? Because after all, you had won All Australian honours. Yeah, it was. I, I think um, you always want to leave somewhere on on a good note, and um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the the taste of when I left Hawthorne wasn't great. So, you know, the people in charge then and uh, myself, you know, not seeing, you know, eye to eye, and uh, you know, a couple of players, and then getting kicked out of the leadership group, and you kind of sit there, and you know, I. Tr- to fairness, the hardest thing was was I tried to leave that little bit earlier when I felt things were going a little bit pear shaped, and uh, you know Clarko had his grand plan, which was which was fine. So I tried to get out to Sydney that year later because I knew Jason Ball had retired in two thousand and five, and Sydney were going all right. So I thought, okay, if I can get to Sydney in two thousand and six, have a couple of years up there, Jason Ball, they need a ruckman, will work perfect. And then uh, when they didn't do the trade. Um, you know, it's not like the NRL. The AFL, if a player wants to go, and you see it these days, if a player wants to go, you're better off letting him go because every other player looks and says, you don't even want to be here. So even though you're still going to go out there and give your best each and every weekend, they still have that thought that you don't want to be here, like Gary Ablett with the last year of the Gold Coast Suns. So it was a, kind of a situation like that. And when you get kicked out of the leadership group and then you get injured, and you know, when you're injured, you're really not with a playing group as it is. It was one of the toughest years in footy for me. So a decade on, Spide, you go to Sydney, uh, a decade on from the grand final 
appearance by the Saints. And they'd played in the last two grand finals. They'd won the premiership in 2005. You've got to have in the back of your mind thinking, I've got a crack at this. I've got a real chance. I might finally get over the line here. Yeah, and that was the idea. You always want to try and win a premiership. And, you know, you know, Sydney, you're very, very good at bringing, uh, you know, a couple of players in a year that uh, can really tip them, you know, to get them to the, uh, the end of uh, September into a, into a grand final. I was hoping that was my, uh, my chance. And, uh, you know, we played throughout the year and, and um, you know, went okay and consistently won some games and got into the finals. But, uh, you know, again, it wasn't to be. But, you know, going to the Sydney Footy Club just taught me a lot about football and a lot about a club. It it was, it was mind blowing how well a football club can run compared to you know even Hawthorne in the day when I was there. It's probably a little bit different now and St Kilda because uh, you know Sydney were just a well oiled machine and they were so far advanced than the other clubs I'd come from. Just finally on your playing days when it all came to an end at Sydney after 39 games, so you stop on 291. You've got a couple of bests and fairest. You've got three All Australian honours, ups and downs along the way. Did it seem like it finished just like that, just in the blink of an eye when you got to the end, that it was all over so quickly? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, 100%. 100%. I remember I went into uh, Ruzi's office and uh, he said, what do you want to do? And uh, he goes, do you want to go on or do you want to uh, retire? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, there's your answer. He goes, because if you're not 100%, he goes, it's never going to work. So he kind of, uh, that, was the, that was the decision. But then, you know, you walk away. And I think, I think most players kind of uh, notice it is that, you know, you wake up on the Monday morning after you're retired and you, you get up and you set the alarm and you get ready to go somewhere and you've got nowhere to go. It's like, what do I do? I've got nothing. My whole life's been, been been planned out for the last 16 years with times to be here and do this and do that, and there's nothing there. So suddenly you think, well, that was quick. Now now what do I do? So, yeah, it's a, a shock a shock at the same time as uh, a, a real good reality check when you wake up that first day after retirement. Well, they might have seemed as though there was nothing to do, but your life has turned out to be anything but. And when we come back in our final segment, we'll talk about some of the things that uh, Spider is up to at the moment. We've already touched on the radio. There's a whole lot more. Spider Everett is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll be back to wrap things up with Spider after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And here we are, all so quickly at our final segment. It's a bit like playing football. It arrives before you know it, our final segment with Spider Everett. Spide, uh, you're not the only Everett to play at the top level. What about Andreas? Yeah, skinny, my brother. Uh, look, I'm very, really proud. It's very hard to um, come off the back. And, uh, you know, I've spoken about Gary Ablett a couple of times. But, you know, for Gary Ablett to be able to do what he does and then my brother to come in and make his own stance in the game was, was great. Went to a couple of clubs and, uh, you know, ended up uh, finishing up in Carlton. But, you know, look, I think um, I, I, I went and checked it out the other day. I think it's top 12 or 15 um, brothers that have played the most games. So between us, uh, it was just great to be able to see him kick on from, you know, his 15 years. He's younger than me. So we played the one game against each other, which was fantastic. <laughs> and how was that? What was that experience um, like? I can just remember once he tackled me in front of goal and he would have, it, it should have been holding the ball for sure. And I looked at the umpire and I said, please don't give it to him. No. <laughs> and the umpire said, no, I'll ball it up. And then, uh, so that was good. And then I was chasing him down the wing and he looked at me and just laughed and sprinted off. I had absolutely no hope of catching him. So yeah, some good memories against uh, the one game I played against him. Hey, if that was hard for your brother, Karen, uh, the famous name that you had created in the game. Maybe your son might have a similar thing in time to come. Does he show any aptitude for the game? 
Yeah, yeah, he does. He's playing at Southport Sharks under twelves at the moment. He's quite funny. He's got he's got the skill. He knows how to kick and and handball and know how to find the footy. But he he's like me. He doesn't go too hard and he doesn't run too hard at this stage. So I'm just letting him go and see how he goes. But he loves his footy. He he loves the Saints. So he's already booked in for father and son. He reckons. What about your daughters? Because things are different now. Because there is a pathway for girls if they want to go and play football at a pretty high level. You've got three of them. Do they show any interest in? playing the game? Uh, Caitlin, no. She's 24. She's too busy going to festivals these days. And uh, But her, her boyfriend plays. But my 16-year-old, my Anae, she's uh, a rep basketballer. And uh, I wish I was in Melbourne because I'll get her training down at the Saints. But I'm going to actually introduce her down to the Saints and hopefully she can get in the women's competition because she's only 16. A couple of years away when the Saints come in, she'll be 18 and uh, primed for it. So she's looking at getting into it. She's six foot one, so she's a big unit. And uh, she's got a bit of arrogance about her. So she could be actually perfect for it. Just got to get her down to training. You can't have a 24-year-old daughter, Spot. You're not old enough. I know. Caitlin, I had her when I was 19. I used to remember, I used to tie a helium balloon to her talking about Moorabbin, and uh, she used to walk around the Moorabbin nightclub, and then I'd see where she is, just from the helium (laughs) balloon. She loves it, Caitlin. There used to be a few uses for the helium balloons in those days. Remember when everyone used to uh, let the helium balloon go, and all of a sudden you started speaking like the chipmunks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for karaoke. (laughs) Uh, Now, now finally, tell us something about, for those people who don't know, the Great Australian Doorstep. What's that? Oh, look, I do a travel show when I uh, finish footy. I started filming a travel show. just wanted to show people how they can travel around Australia with the kids and get out there in the caravan and see some of our great country. So we film it and we put it on 7-2 on uh, Saturdays. Um, and outside of that, from there, I do some uh, motorhome tours now. So we do motorhome tours where we take other people along and we go Melbourne to Darwin, uh, Queenstown to Auckland as well, and we just launch some motorhome tours in the US. So we pretty much uh, started to get into the motorhome industry off the back of, you know, travelling so much ourselves. I love motorhoming. I reckon everyone should get out there and do it because if you're flying everywhere, you miss all the great spots. Drive there and see everything. And one last thing about footy, Spide. Uh, do you feel as though when you watch the game these days that you were the trailblazer because you had tats before tats <laughs> became popular? I know. They've gone next level now, haven't they? Look, uh, yeah, I started getting them. It's one of those things where, you know, you get it, you bring a bit of notoriety to yourself and then you've got to perform. So it's kind of one of those things you put pressure on yourself by getting them. But now, you know, between Dusty and Dane Swan, I reckon the best photo you can see is Dane Swan when he first started to Dane Swan when he retired yeah. because he was a, he was a clean skin when he first started so it's a it's amazing to think but yeah i wouldn't go as far as some of these neck tattoos and face tattoos and arms i've kind of uh, got the half sleeve and i'm going to leave it as that well the tattooers made their mark on you and you made your mark on the game over 291 games congratulations on what you did in footy and also what you've been able to do after footy you've been one of the great characters of the game so now all we can do is wish you well and leave you in your quest for the vhs machine yeah. half, half a <laughs> bowl of cocoa pops and half a bowl of rice bubbles and life will be pretty good. Oh, till the great soul. Uh, I'll be sitting down there watching if my first kick was ever a goal. I'll find out. Spider, thanks for your time. Hopefully I'll bump into you on the Gold Coast when we're up there for a game soon. You certainly will. Thank you. Spider Everett joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Hope you can join us for another edition of the program next week.
Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.